Wherever you are this morning gathered for worship, I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open it again to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. We'll be in verses 13 through 48 together this morning. We've taken time each week through the month of April, this Easter season, to look at Jesus, the King, in the many different ways that He is portrayed at the end of Luke's Gospel. We saw two weeks ago Jesus, the coming King, as He enters into Jerusalem the week before His death on the back of the colt of that donkey as the Messiah, as the Christ, to the praises of His people. We saw last week from the first verses of Luke chapter 24 that Jesus is the risen King, that He is the Messiah that is died for sins and been raised from the dead. And now this week, we'll continue in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 48, to see Jesus, the glorified King, to see Him in His glorified body appearing to His disciples. What we'll see here in general is that Christ's appearance in this glorified body to His disciples demonstrates yet again the certainty of His resurrection, but also the certainty of His his resurrection according to all that God had promised in the Scriptures. What I want for us to glean from this and to see from Luke chapter 24 is that the glorified Jesus reveals to His disciples glorious realities. The glorified Jesus reveals glorious realities. And as we uh, come to understand those realities that Jesus reveals to his disciples, I would hope that we would begin to orient and reorient our whole lives around Jesus, the glorified King. Having said that, let's turn our attention to the scriptures as we read together Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 48. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we have hoped that he was the one To redeem Israel, yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said to them he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So 
he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do you doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I am myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of um, broiled fish and took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Well, what a great passage of scripture to spend time in together this morning as we look at Jesus, the risen and glorified King. I, I love so much about Luke chapter 24, and really there are so many places that we could, we could dig deeply into and, and mine for great truths. We could spend several weeks just in this chapter alone, but for the sake of our, our purposes here today, I want to uh, glean at least three things, three realities, glorious realities that Jesus uh, reveals to his disciples. The first is this, the glorified Jesus illustrates for his disciples a glorious future. The glorified Jesus illustrates a glorious future, and this he does in the way that he is raised and, and glorified. This he does in the very body with which he is raised from the dead. Well, we see several things about his body, but first of all, that his risen body, his glorified body, is a physical body. He himself says to his disciples that it is flesh and, and bone. He, he demonstrates his, his real physical presence with, uh, with eating with the disciples, breaking bread with uh, Cleopas and the other unnamed disciple after they arrive in Emmaus, uh, eating a piece of broiled fish with the 11 disciples there in Jerusalem. He invites the disciples to come and to inspect uh, the scars in his hands and in his feet to see that he is not a ghost, not a spirit, not, a, not an apparition, but, uh, but Jesus raised in glory. He is, Jesus is, by all accounts, 
the same man that he was before he died. He is raised bodily and physically, and yet there are things about his uh, glorified body, his risen body, that are different from uh, his body before he died. He, he appears and disappears without notice and, and by his own will. He, in, in other uh, gospels, uh, appears to be walking through walls and entering into locked rooms uh, unannounced. There's a sense in which Jesus' glorified body is, is uh, more than the, the physical body that he had uh, before he died on the cross. It's the same body. There's consistency in, in his uh, appearance and in his uh, physical uh, uh, characteristics, and yet there's something more to him. In the resurrection of Jesus and in his glorified body and the way that he appears to his disciples, we as Christians learn much about what in the church we call the doctrine of the resurrection or the, the, what is taught, what is true from Scripture about the resurrection from the dead that all of us who are by faith united to Christ can look forward to. Uh, Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 15, verses 42 through 44, speaking about the resurrection, speaks about it this way. Uh, speaking of the, the bodies that we have that will be raised from the dead, he says that our resurrection will be like Christ's resurrection, that what is sown is perishable, but what is raised will be imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. The body that we have now is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body that is dependent upon natural processes, uh, uh, guided and animated by natural processes, but it is raised a spiritual body, guided by spiritual processes, sustained uh, spiritually. If there is a, a natural body, Paul says, there is also a spiritual body. So what are we to learn from what Paul says and from what we observe uh, in the glorified body of the risen Lord Jesus? Well, first of all, that our resurrection will, like Christ's resurrection, be bodily. It will be physical. We will have bodies with close resemblance to the ones that we have and live in now. Uh, there is uh, much resemblance between Christ's glorified body, his risen body, uh, and the body that, that, uh, that he walked the earth in with his disciples before his death. He bears the scars from the crucifixion, even in his glorified body. He is recognized by his disciples uh, as uh, the same Jesus of Nazareth that they knew and had walked with and had witnessed die upon the cross. And so just as Christ was raised bodily with a physical body, so also will we. However, the body that we are raised with, we learn also from, from Christ's resurrection and from what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that our body will be spiritually animated. That, that is not naturally animated. We will be sustained. The processes of our, our body, our, our life will not be sustained by, uh, by, by blood and oxygen that are taken to our limbs by our heart and lungs and uh, by neurological processes, but it will be sustained entirely uh, by the Spirit of uh, God. Paul says if there's a natural body, then there's also a spiritual body that we can look forward to being raised. And third, we learn about our resurrected body, that it will be in some sense more human than even we are now. Now, I know that that's a strange way of speaking, but that's what we observe about Jesus and his resurrection. And that is what Paul seems to indicate when he speaks about our resurrection from the dead too. What I mean by us being more human than we are now is this, 
that when we are raised from the dead, when we are given glorified bodies as Christ was given, his uh, was raised uh, in a glorified body, uh, the bodies that, that will be raised will be those that are untainted, unstained, un, uh, unhindered by sin and the effects of sin in a broken creation. We will be even uh, more so uh, the way that God intended us to be when he first created uh, our first parents, Adam and Eve, will be even uh, more human than, than they were, if that is possible. We don't go on living in eternity in, uh, as, as spirits floating around in some sort of angelic ether, uh, but rather in physical bodies as Christ was. He is the uh, firstborn from among the dead. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. And so all that comes after him, all who are raised to life, never to die again, uh, will be raised to life and glorified in the same way that he was. There are also some things, though, that, that we can come to understand uh, about the resurrection and our glorified state that don't pertain just to our body, but also to the world in which we will live. In Isaiah 66 and Revelation 21, Paul, even in Romans chapter 8, speak about this world being made new. In the same way that our bodies will be raised and glorified, so also will this world, the heavens and the earth, be made new. God will recreate on the final day uh, all that, that is in existence and do it for His glory in a creation that is unstained by sin, that is unbroken by the rebellion of mankind against Him. And the new heavens and the new earth will be like our glorified bodies physical. There will be a real place where we will live forever in the presence of God and of Christ our Savior. They will be a heavens and an earth that are spiritually sustained, not by mechanical or, or uh, physical processes or properties, but spiritually sustained uh, by the work and the presence of God. And they will, even like our bodies, be more real than our present world in the sense that they will not be uh, the new heavens and the new earth will, will not be hindered. They won't be broken. They won't be uh, maligned by the stain uh, and effects of sin upon the world. We know that when Adam and Eve first sinned, it sent all of creation into a bit of a, a tailspin as the created order was broken by man's rebellion against God. So in the recreation, all of that will be set right. All of that will be perfect. It will be even more real than what is now. The glorious future that the glorious and risen Jesus illustrates is that of the bodily resurrection that awaits all who are by faith united to him. This is the hope that every Christian has, that because Christ died for sins and was raised again, so also we who have turned from sin to make him Lord of our lives, we can also hope for being raised, being resurrected from the dead and given glorified bodies in which we will live forever with Christ our King. Dear Christian, look forward with joy to the hope that we have in the resurrection, to the wonderful, glorious reality that awaits us in eternity as we are raised to live forever with Christ. The risen and glorified Jesus illustrates for his disciples and for us today a glorious future. But secondly, and this is probably my favorite point of all of Luke chapter 24, the glorified Jesus points to a glorious past. He points to a glorious past. Now, all of us today are familiar with, we, we are not strangers to tales of people who have supposedly died and, uh, report, and while dead, uh, uh, reported to have uh, gone to either heaven or to hell and returned with fantastical stories that boggle the mind and strain the imagination to believe about things that they saw and heard and people that they talked to or whatever the case may be. 
Now, it seems so often that when people have these so-called near-death experiences and return from them, that they return very often with a, a word from, from God or a, a message from the beyond uh, about something new that God is doing or, or something that God is undoing that previously was done before. Very often they come back with messages that, that contradict or, or, or counteract the things that God has said to us in His Word. But this is not what happens when Jesus is raised from the dead. When Jesus, in His glorified body, appears to the disciples to prove that He has, has really died and really been risen, He doesn't come back to rewrite the script on all that God had been doing in history among His people in Israel, but rather He returns to affirm that everything that God had been doing and everything that God had said is now finding its fulfillment in Him. Verses 25 through 27 of Luke 24 and verses 44 through 46 both find Jesus making sure to walk the disciples through a a course, through a class, if you will, in how to read the Old Testament. In, In the earlier part of Luke 24, Jesus is on the on the road to Emmaus, this city about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. And there he meets up with two of his disciples that were part of the broader group of people that were following him, not, uh, not just the, the 12. Uh, one is named Cleopas and the, other, uh, uh, the other's name we, we don't know. And as Jesus comes alongside them, we have this kind of humorous moment where, where Jesus is divinely concealing his identity for the sake of uh, being able to instruct and bring to a right understanding these two disciples about the things that he's going to reveal to them. Uh, and, and Jesus, who has died for sins and been raised that same day, n- now comes alongside these disciples and asks them what they're talking about, right? Knowing full well all the things that they're talking about, he himself being the one that experienced them. And so they share with him about uh, how they had been following this man named Jesus, who was thought to be a prophet, but he was delivered over to the uh, religious rulers of the day, crucified. Uh, and, and now it's been, you know, three days since he was crucified, and some women that they knew that had also followed. Jesus went to his tomb just this morning and, and, and wonder of all wonders, he wasn't there. And now we don't know what to do. Well, it's in response to them recounting all the details of the story that Jesus says this, uh, beginning in verse uh, 25. He says, uh, he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Further, we read a very similar interaction with the 11 remaining disciples in Jerusalem later, maybe the next day as he appears among them. As we read there, uh, Jesus saying in verse 44, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, that's the first five books of the Old Testament, And the prophets and the Psalms, this is a summary way of speaking about everything in the Old Testament. All of it must be fulfilled. Verse 45 says, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Now, if this is a a class that Jesus is teaching on how to read the Bible and how to understand and interpret it, you can sign me up for that class. Put me on the waiting list. I'm ready to enroll. That's a class that I'll take time and time and time again to sit under the master, right? God himself in flesh teaching me how to read the Bible. 
So how are we to understand then what Jesus is teaching here? And and is it beyond our understanding uh, to know what Jesus is teaching his disciples here in this this place? I don't think it is. I think what Jesus is teaching to his disciples is, is plainly this, that he, the risen and glorified Christ, is both the subject and the substance of all the scriptures. That Jesus is the subject and substance of all the scriptures. As the subject of the scriptures, we know this, that that all of the Old Testament is directly about or pointing as a shadow to a, a greater reality, a greater truth that is the incarnate Son of God who dies for sins and rises again. As the subject of the Old Testament, Jesus is the the climax of every storyline. He's the the telos. He's the end point uh, of every uh, theme and and unfinished uh, story thread that is developed throughout the course of the Old Testament. He is the, the fulfillment of every hope and expectation. He is what all of the Old Testament is talking about and leading to. And as the substance of the Scriptures, uh, we find that in Christ, all of the Old Testament finds its fullest meaning in Him as He gives His life for sins and is raised again from the dead. None of the Old Testament, none of the Scriptures are complete or rightly understood apart from Christ, apart from Christ's completion of those promises. So what might have been some of the things that Jesus was teaching and reminding His disciples about that He fulfilled in the Old Testament? Well, at least these several. First of all, we we know that Jesus is the seed of the woman who crushes the head of the serpent, promised to us in Genesis chapter 3. That he's the prophet like Moses who speaks the word of God in truth and with authority and power, promised in Deuteronomy 18. That he is the true offspring of Abraham, who is the the means and the the medium for blessing to all of the nations that was uh, covenanted uh, to Abraham in Genesis 12, 15 and 17. That Jesus is the true temple of God. He is God in flesh dwelling among his people uh, in the same pattern but greater than the tabernacle that is built in Exodus 26. He is the great high priest that is more faithful than Aaron, the brother of Moses, who gives not animal sacrifices for sin, but who gives his own sinless life as atonement for the sins of the people. He's the son of David who will reign on the throne of the king forever, according to God's promise to David in 2 Samuel 7. Jesus is the servant of God who suffers for the sins and salvation of the people, according to Isaiah 53. He is in fulfillment to Ezekiel 34, the divine human shepherd who leads and guides the people of God in truth and righteousness and who puts to shame the wicked false shepherds. He is in fulfillment of Exodus chapter 12, the Passover lamb who is slain to protect those who are under his blood from the just wrath of God against their sins. And he is in fulfillment of Psalm 16, the divine king whose body does not see corruption and whose soul is not abandoned to the grave. Jesus, the risen Christ, glorified in flesh, is the subject and substance of all of the scriptures. And because this is true, and this is what Jesus teaches to his disciples as he is risen and glorified, we as followers of Jesus, we who seek to understand God's word, need to look back at scripture, this glorious past, through the clarifying lens of Christ. Jesus is like the light that goes on in a dark room. 
that we have been fumbling around and trying to make our way. And, and perhaps for a, a long time, we have been able to find where, where certain uh, stumbling blocks and things to trip over are in a room. We can sort of make our way through a room, but we, we're not able to, in the darkness there, see all that is truly before us. Christ is like the light that comes on in the room that, that gives shape to all of those shadowy figures that we had been trying to navigate for so long. He's like the twist at the end of a, a mystery or a thriller that that uh, that causes every other detail in the story leading up to that point to fall into context and to make uh, perfectly clear all that had been coming before it. He is the hinge upon which the door of redemption of God's saving purposes in Scripture swings. And apart from Him, we cannot understand anything that God is saying truly and rightly in His Word to us. We must read the Scriptures. We must understand the Scriptures through the clarifying lens of Christ. And when we do, do not be surprised to find your own heart burning within you with the truth, uh, with the, the fantastic realization, the wonderful realization of the truth that is that Jesus is the subject and the substance of all of the scriptures. Like Cleopas and, and, and the other disciple found themselves with their hearts burning within them as Christ opened the word of God to them. So you too should expect to find your soul lit on fire as you understand the scriptures through the lens that is Jesus, the glorified, risen Jesus, uh, points to a glorious past of God doing and fulfilling all that He intends to in redeeming sinners from their sin, fulfilling that plan in Christ. And so not only do we need to orient our lives around Jesus because of that fact, but we need to orient our discipline of Bible reading around that truth. We need to orient our study of God's Word around Christ, who is, who is the corrective lens, who is the lens that brings into focus everything else in Scripture. Well, third and finally, the, the glorious Jesus reveals yet one more glorious reality. The glorified Jesus for his disciples, previews a glorious mission. The glorified Jesus previews a glorious mission. Look with me at uh, verses uh, 46 through 48, uh, or excuse me, 49 through uh, of Luke chapter 24. Jesus said to them, this is the 11 disciples he's now met with in Jerusalem. He says, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus here, as he is meeting with his disciples in his glorified body, is getting them ready for a mission that they will complete. It is a mission of God that was begun in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, after Adam and Eve had fallen and God gives us promise to redeem them through a seed, through the offspring that would crush the head of the serpent. Uh, the, the mission that they will be about is, is continuing the work of Christ who died for sins and was raised from the dead as they declare to the world that God's plan for redemption has been fulfilled in Jesus. The completion of the work of Christ goes far beyond just the hope of the resurrection from the dead that believers have by faith in Christ. The, the completion of the work of Christ does not stop with His instruction about the Scriptures. 
Instead, just as surely as Jesus says the scriptures are fulfilled in him and his resurrection from the dead, that the scriptures are also fulfilled in what will be the ongoing work of Jesus through his church, the proclamation of repentance and forgiveness of sins from the mouths of witnesses who have seen it with their own eyes and experienced it by their own faith. Now, the actual commissioning of the disciples is yet to take place in the course of Luke's uh, gospel. And we'll look at that a little bit more uh, next week as we see Christ officially commissioning his disciples for this work. But in just this preview that he gives to them uh, during this uh, appearance to them in Luke 24, we learn a few things about the mission of God that he is giving to his disciples. The first is this, that the mission will be carried out through their witness. They, as eyewitnesses to Christ's sinless life, death for sins, and resurrection from the dead, they will be those who are giving credible testimony to these historic events that have taken place in their own day and in their own own witnessing. Also, we learn that this mission is going to be empowered by God. It's not going to be a mission that is, that is accomplished in the efforts solely of the disciples. But they must, as Jesus says, uh, uh, wait for the promise of the Father, which we know is the Holy Spirit uh, that is going to be given to them. That God himself is going to empower uh, the disciples of Jesus and every follower of Christ after that point, including us today. God is going to empower them for the fulfillment of the mission that he has given to them. And third, we see that the mission is going to begin in God's timing. It is not yet for the disciples in Luke 24 to uh, begin to carry out this mission just yet. They have to wait for God's timing. He's going to send the Holy Spirit when he is ready to send the Holy Spirit to empower them to carry out this mission. And so in all of this, we see that the disciples, every disciple, every follower of Jesus from this point forward, when it comes to carrying out the glorious mission that Jesus is here previewing and and preparing his disciples to, to take on, All of us must carry out this mission with full and total dependence upon God. First of all, it's not our mission to carry out, but His. It's not our story to tell, but His story. The mission is carried on through the the witness uh, of the disciples of Jesus, but it's not witness to things that we have done. It's witness to the things that God has done in Christ. Secondly, we depend upon the empowering of God to do this mission. God does not say, Jesus does not say to the disciples, now go and, and uh, do your best work to prove yourself uh, to me and, uh, and work really hard and we'll see what happens. No, he promises to send them power uh, in the form of the Holy Spirit, his own spirit, to live in them, to dwell in their hearts, to empower them for mission. Jesus does not give a mission to his disciples uh, that is contingent upon their witness of what he has done in history that, that relies on their power to do it. Now, God, uh, Jesus is going to use their witness through the power that he supplies to get it done. And also, it's going to begin and end in his timing. I think there's some comfort there for us in knowing that, uh, that the success of the mission is not dependent upon how hard we work for it or, or how uh, compelling uh, a testimony we give uh, to the work of Christ in our lives. It's not dependent upon uh, uh, proving ourselves to God as, as, as worthy workers in the kingdom. But all of it is dependent upon God doing what only God can do through His people and the power of the Holy Spirit that He supplies to them. Is the mission for for us, for His disciples, to undertake and to faithfully execute? Yes, but they're not to do it on their own. 
and success is not contingent upon uh, human definitions of success. Success is dependent upon God who wills and works to bring His redemptive plan to conclusion and to, to completion in the lives of those who will place faith in Jesus. As the glorified Jesus previews a glorious mission for His disciples here, Christian, you and I need to look toward the mission that is also given to us by Christ, the same mission to declare the hope that is in Christ, the hope for forgiveness of sins through repentance in the name of Jesus. We need to look toward that mission with confidence in its completion. Not that we will be the ones who who will complete it, but that God will be the one who completes the mission that He gives to the church in the power that He supplies in His own timing. There's really good reason for us and, and really good hope for us to, uh, uh, to have this kind of confidence as we approach the mission that God has given to us. It's God's mission. And nothing that God does uh, will ever fail. We know that for certain. If He can raise His Son from the dead, then He can certainly bring about faith in the hearts uh, and lives of those who, who we share the hope of the gospel with. God says His Word never goes out and returns empty. God is faithful to complete every good work that He starts. And so He is intent upon, even as Jesus says, to proclaim the hope of forgiveness and repentance of sins through faith in Jesus to all nations. And just as surely as Jesus has commissioned His disciples for it, He will complete this mission. We look forward in time in the book of Revelation chapter 7. Where there, Paul, uh, excuse me, John is is shown by Jesus a vision of what is coming in the future. Uh, a great multitude of people from every tribe, nation, tongue, and people group from around the world gathered around the throne of God in eternity, praising Him for His glorious work of salvation, for for completing His own mission to redeem sinners from their sin through faith in Christ. The mission will be completed. God will complete it. And you and I, dear Christian, brother and sister, we have been called and commissioned by Christ to join Him in that mission simply by being faithful witnesses who depend upon the power and the work of God as He works and speaks through us, declaring the hope that we have in Christ to those who do not yet know Him. Look toward the mission with confidence in in its completion. If God has commanded it, He will surely see to its success. I want to invite you, brothers and sisters, uh, to join me in in beginning to work out in more uh, bold and specific ways this mission of declaring the hope that we have in Christ to the world. I'd like for us uh, to join with many Christians around the nation right now in the, uh, in the Jesus Changed My Life movement. And, and here's what you do. Take your cell phone, take your computer, your tablet, whatever the case may be, and record a short two, three, five-minute video about how Jesus has changed your life about how the glorious truth that Christ died for your sins and rose again from the dead has changed the way that you relate to God, has, has, has revealed to you your own recognition of your need for salvation from sin and how your faith in Christ as Savior and Lord has, has brought about dramatic changes in you and given you a hope for a future. 
Would you join me in recording a short video about how Jesus changed your life, sharing the gospel with all those that you know and posting it on, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, whatever social media platform you would use. Use the hashtag Jesus Changed My Life. Tag our church at FBC West ABQ. And that way we can, we can see your story, hear your story, and even share it with people who, in, uh, who are in our circles of influence, with our uh, uh, friends on social media. It's really difficult right now with all of the uh, social distancing that's going on to, to maybe share the gospel in personal ways, face-to-face with people. But we have ample opportunity to make much of Jesus on these platforms that were built for, for building the reputation of people. We can now use platforms like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram to make much of Jesus and to increase His reputation in the world, to glorify God through the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and in the gospel. So take to social media this week. Tell a short story about how Jesus has changed your life. Share the gospel there in that short video and invite people to trust Jesus just as you have. Take part in the glorious mission of Jesus that he has in his glorified body previewed for his disciples in Luke chapter 24. Friend, if you'd like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to have hope for resurrection from the dead, uh, how to understand that, that Christ fulfills everything that God promises in the Scripture, most especially how He promises you forgiveness of sins and a right relationship with God. Uh, would you please reach out to us this week? Uh, you can email me personally. You can call our, our, our church this week. Get a hold of us uh, through email, through our website, or on Facebook, or Twitter, or Instagram. Let us know of your desire to follow Jesus as Lord or just of questions you might have about what it means to follow Him. But in light of all that we have seen about Jesus glorified and raised from the dead and the glorious truths that He reveals, do not let this day go by without taking opportunity to see what your life would look like if you were to orient it around Jesus. Dear Christian, I know that I am praying for you and for me that we will have boldness and consistency as we orient our lives around Christ to be faithful witnesses of the hope that we have in Him. In light of all of the glorious truths that the glorified Jesus, the glorious King that is Christ, reveals to us in Luke 24, let us, let us now just pray and ask God to use us as faithful servants uh, who will joyously and lovingly declare the hope that we have in Christ. Gracious God, thank you for the promise of salvation that you have brought to fulfillment and completion in Jesus. We praise you for the hope that you have given us of eternal life in your presence, even after these mortal bodies fail. God, we revel in the fact that you have seen fit to include us in your mission to proclaim salvation to the nations through faith in Christ. And so use us as faithful servants out of love for you and joy in knowing Christ to fulfill that mission in whatever way you call us this week. God, give us boldness as we take to social media in the days ahead to declare that Jesus has changed my life and to declare the gospel with a watching world, with our circles of friends and spheres of influence. God, use the stories of those uh, that, that have come to faith in Christ among the body at First West. You use our stories as compelling witness to the power of the resurrection of Jesus uh, and, and of the salvation that He has purchased for us 
in his death on the cross and in his rising from the dead. Glorious Jesus, we, we praise you and thank you for the life we have in you, for the way that you bring everything in Scripture to fulfillment, how you have opened our eyes to the wonderful truth that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Empower us, we pray, continually through your Holy Spirit in us to fulfill the glorious mission that you came to complete and, and that you will continue to bring to fulfillment through us and our witness to how you have changed our lives. We pray all this in your name and for your sake. Amen.